0: to the Mike on much podcast i'm your host mike veerman i am here with my friend and trusty producer max kerman max what's up i'm doing okay we're also here with our pop culture aficionado shane cunningham shane hello we're also here with one of our favorite and returning guests now, Auntie Donahue. Hiya. She's more of the real pop culture aficionado. Oh, that's, so that's
1: not. I'm going to challenge you, Shane. No,
2: you are. You have tattoos.
1: Won. You are more hardcore than me automatically. <laughs> you
2: are, you though. It's The biggest joke is that I'm the pop culture aficionado. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I rarely touch on pop culture. I think.
1: only saw two movies in theater so far this year, though, so I really shouldn't oh, talk. Okay. And one was Dunkirk twice.
2: <laughs> <laughs> one was Dunkirk twice. What was the
0: other one?
1: Baby Driver. Uh, oh, nice. It was okay. good.
0: Yeah. yeah. We yeah. interviewed Edgar Wright. Oh, you said. We talked about this. You mentioned he follows you on Twitter.
1: Well, not to name drop, but he definitely does.
0: Oh you then. name drop. <laughs> okay, guys, we're gonna get into a lot of stuff, but actually before we get into it, I just wanted to uh I mean maybe bring up some really sad news that happened. Uh we are recording this on a Wednesday, and last night uh Canadian legend and icon Gord Downey passed away. Yeah, found out this morning. We all found out this morning.
3: So it was, it was kind of strange to be honest, because um because we're in a Canadian rock band, people want to call to get comment. And I just find that it's a tough job for a reporter to have to call people who are sort of somewhat connected. And I'm pretty, I'm not too closely connected with Gordani's family or anything, but to have to, the morning of, talk about it, or, or, because I probably got, I've done three interviews already, and it just feels a little, on a, on a certain level, a little gross. On another level, it feels kind of nice to be able to talk about him. But it's, uh, yeah, these, these mornings are just strange and, Yeah. and tough. So, how did you find out, Nan? The internet.
1: Um, it was, Like, I don't know. I'm bad. Like, I was telling this to Max and the man, I'm like, I'm really bad with death. Like, I like when we were talking about this too, where it's like it's almost sadder when you find out someone's sick because you're like, "Uh," like you got like now you wait. It's like a waiting Mm -hmm. game. Then every time his name trended for like the last year, it was like "Uh,"
3: Yeah. Interesting.
1: And then it happens. And I think like if anyone's ever had a family member die of like a prolonged illness, it's like this weird I don't want to say relief, but it is. It's this weird and then that's weird. Death is really strange. It brings out weird traits in people too and i think like when people come to you for comment stuff too that's like a it's strange right because you can't how do you react in a way that like death is i'm so bad at it i always say that i'm very bad at
4: it
3: yeah well because my first instinct is like get this camera out of my face like that that's why not that there's a camera in my face but like i don't want (laughs) to talk to you about this It sucks but then you go, okay well maybe i should say something and then when you start thinking about it and what gordon downey meant meant to you or meant to me, uh I go, Oh, actually maybe I do want to talk about it a little bit. I don't know. It's a, yeah, it's a lot of emotions.
0: Well yeah. I think ultimately it's like the non cynical way to look at it is when someone famous dies Um, You know, a lot of people post on their social medias and whatnot, so Facebook, all this stuff and what it means to them. But what they're getting out of it is what people get out of a funeral or a wake is you get to all sort of have this shared experience where you all sort of talk about what that meant to you and how it informs sort of your experiences and then your relationships to one another. So when you do go on the radio and talk about it, for instance, there's a bunch of people out there listening that are sort of like uh, dealing with it through listening to people talk about it. Totally. And actually, I got some comments from the Q interview
3: I did and people were oh he said it really well they're like that i identify with what max just said on the radio and i was like okay that actually makes me feel kind of nice because then you have this moment of human connection yeah yeah
1: i
2: got two funerals tonight
1: oh oh boy yeah oh, i'm sorry yeah i feel like last year and this year have been very death heavy like around me i feel like i've known more like it's been very strange last year yeah. my uncle died it was f-ing, sorry, I knew you to be a play out. It was this yeah. whole thing. And then, but the week before my friend's dad died, the next day I got a text from a friend being like, and oh, my grandma died. The next day I got a text from a friend being like, a family friend died. And the next I was at my visit, like the visitation thing for my family. And it was like, my friend's boyfriend um, mm-hmm. took a lot of drugs and killed himself. And it was Ugh. like, uh. and then this year's just been like.
2: Well, every morning it feels like a, a, a morning, Yeah. You, you know what I mean? Because there's so many famous people now in the world <laughs> that every day someone who is connected to us in some way dies. Yep. Yeah. And also, not to make this about politics,
1: just it like the mean. guy
2: r- running the show is such a
3: moron. And and it, it just feels like the death of America every single day. Like it's like you don't feel like you're being comforted or like the, the people who should be offering support and showing strength have any real strength themselves. At least I, you know, I felt, you know, even if she was hitting the fan and Ob- at least we got Obama in charge, like, there's I think like, about Obama when I'm going through turbulence when I'm flying. Do you really? Yeah.
1: Is that your, like, comfort person? Yeah,
3: him and a few other people.
1: Do you, like, get nervous on planes?
3: Yeah, I hate turbulence.
1: Really? Yeah.
3: Anyway, we're getting off subject.
0: We're, we're, Let's we're- talk
1: about death, guys. Let's no. just make <laughs> this <is> the podcast. <laughs>
0: More about that. Love well, it. I guess just to wrap it up, uh, you know, really sad to see Gore go and you're going to hear a lot of things over the next couple of days uh, by the time you hear this and, uh, yeah, he was, he was one of the best. Yeah. Okay, so moving on uh, uh, from that, uh, there's a lot going on in the news. Obviously, Max, you just brought up uh, you know, leadership in the States. We won't talk about politics just now. We'll also talk about something that's been really uh, prominent, and that is obviously uh, what started a floodgate, which was the Harvey Weinstein allegations uh, and a lot of people going on the record for you know um, crimes that he had committed and harassment that he had um, inflicted on people. And... You know, I guess one of the reasons we wanted to have you on, Ann, is because a lot of times it's just us three dudes like sitting around talking about it, and we don't really have necessarily a female perspective. Um, so it's nice to have one.
1: S- you can also. I'm going to give a PSA on this podcast. You can say women, don't say females, because it may, it's like a thing. Because men on the alt, like on the right side will say females, and it's almost like a combative feeling now. Oh, so say ah. just say women. women.
2: Okay, good. To or know.
1: yeah, just like now I know that you. I'm just like a little fun PSA for the pod.
2: That no, we're here. It's and a, how yeah. conscious of it should we be? Like I call myself Shaney boy. I call
1: that's fine.
2: But calling a girl a girl, like a woman a girl, how bad is that?
1: I mean, who is the woman that you're calling a girl? Like, is it a stranger?
2: Uh, Sometimes I'll be like, oh, I bumped into this girl today. Oh, I
1: mean, like, I personally wouldn't be like, how dare you? I think, like, you have to be conscious when you're introducing someone or talking about a person. Because sometimes they also might not identify with a gender. So they is a very conscious thing. I find that I get asked my pronoun a lot more in interviews now just because people are being careful. They're like, are Mm. you identify as she? I'm like... Yes, very boring, cis, hetero, female. Sorry that I don't have anything else to add to that. But yeah, you can say girl. Like, I mean, if you're not talking about like, I don't know, if you're not like Hillary Clinton walks by, this girl walked by, be like, well, that's Hillary Clinton. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we're all having a fun gender chat today, guys.
2: (laughs) Yeah, we're here to learn. Yeah,
1: I love it. That's why I like coming here. If I was weirded out, I wouldn't come.
0: (laughs) Well, one of the things that happened sort of shortly after uh, the Harvey allegations came out was that you went on Twitter and you asked uh, people to share their Harvey Weinstein experiences. That's true. And to do that, much like an avalanche, and we discussed this section in our last pod.
1: I listened like the stalker on.
0: You had this sort of uh, overwhelming outpouring of experiences. Uh, so I guess my question would be, like, what led you to sort of do that? What was the the light bulb that went off for, like, you know, I want to know more? And then what did it feel like to have that kind of outpouring?
1: I mean, okay, so the thing about when I tweet, usually I don't think when I say, like, if you go through my feed, she talks about wearing a sweatsuit a lot. And now she's also, like, complaining about this. But she's, like, really psyched to see Harry Styles in Dunkirk. So it was one of those things where, like, I was reading that Harvey Weinstein Opad it sounded so familiar because, I mean, and I remember, like, last time I was on, I told you guys about that priest. So, like, obviously, like, I, by 17, I was very used to being sexually harassed and um, groped and whatever. But it was that abuse of power that I found was the parallel between, like, the OPAD and the Harvey Weinstein experiences and what I went through as a co-op student. And by the time I write about stuff that's personal to me, I processed it about a thousand times. Like, I don't feel, like, when people were asking you about it, they're like, was that scary for you? I'm like... No, I like I've talked about it for almost 15 years, so it's not a big deal. But um, I was not surprised by the number of people that had stories, but I was surprised by the generosity of people who were sharing because, I mean, people were sharing stories. That, I mean, I don't think that it's fair to gauge someone's experience based on like levels of harassment, levels of assault, levels of abuse, but it was certainly one of those things where you see a pattern emerge and you don't see very many people immune to it. And also a lot of men came forward and shared their stories. And I think that's important. I've been trying to push that in every... Because I did a lot of interviews about this and I've been like, rape culture affects men too. Like men get abused too. Men get assaulted too. Like we need to... Like that's another stigma. So... Yeah, and then everyone and and their mom came out. And I didn't do any TV because it made me feel weird. Kind of probably how you felt about the grief thing, where I'm like, I don't... This isn't mine. Like, other people have done... Like, I asked a question. Other people shared stories. I can't be up here being like, I am now the face of this, especially because, like, the Me Too thing happened. And, like, someone else started that actually 10 years ago. Her name escapes me. But, like, there's been someone doing this forever, so... Well,
0: that's an interesting point because I actually asked this on the pod last week. And I guess, you know sexual harassment and you know abuse and power dynamics are something that have been discussed but usually in a smaller group and it's usually very sort of like maybe even like a more of a left cause and something that people are discussing on a smaller scale with this Harvey thing this is it's so prevalent now and a lot of people would say long overdue and it's super visible do you think this is actually going to like affect change going forward and it's like put the conversation front and center for like everybody and not just you know those that maybe are a little more empathetic to it or have been affected directly
1: I would love to be an optimist and be like yeah, this is it, but this is centuries in the making. Like rape culture took like this has been forever. This is a step out of about ten thousand steps. Discourse is important, but now we need to see legislation. Now we need to see consequences. Now we need to see um, how how are we tr- like teaching young boys and young girls about this kind of stuff? How are we talking about it amongst ourselves? How are we are you like like it takes a long time to untrain a society. This is a step. It's very important, but it's certainly not like, well, we did it, guys. This is so far from that. It makes me, it's like, and when I actually think about how far from it we are, I get very tired. Sure. <laughs> and I watch a lot of Great British Bake Off reruns. And I'm just like, I've seen this a thousand times, but I can sleep. So, because it's, it's so daunting. And I think when you think about the work it takes, because it takes a lot of work. And it's going to take a lot of work. That's, a, that's tough. That's tough conversations. That's like everyday kind of corrections you have to make. Checking yourself for internalized misogyny. You've erased the whole myth of male masculinity. You have to erase like the idea that like victims are asking for it. What did they wear? And like, and that's it's prevalent. It's everywhere. It's all the time. It's like I'm sure each of you have witnessed it and like maybe experienced it even and been like, now oh my god, going over it. And that's trained in you, and you're all in your 30s, so it's like think of and you guys are like wanting to change. Think about now trying to change people who don't want to change or don't think there's a problem. We have a lot of talking to do and a lot of, like, conversations. But that being said, what I thought was also interesting about people sharing their stories, I was getting a lot of people from the right as well as the left. I got some Trump avatars being like, this happened to me, this happened to me. And I was like, see? it. It's like if, we, if we're all united under one thing, it's that we have been the victims of rape culture. What a fun thing great time that is and you have to i always have to make a joke out of everything otherwise i implode so here we are today
3: so okay there's two things that stuck out to me when you just said one is there, there needs to be a cultural shift and i think uh, the, hopefully this sort of thing changes the paradigm a little bit where people in the same way that like smoking i, I don't think it's as simple as smoking <laughs> but, but in, in the yeah. thing that just cultural attitudes have shifted over time right and i think that is a big part of it and then you also pointed towards like legislation and And yeah we were texting the other day about how like you're very solution oriented and you're mm-hmm. just like i just want to figure it out now i just mm-hmm. want to find a solution i want to figure it out mm-hmm. so it's like and i was thinking about that it's like how you know what will it take to have a process or a pathway for victims to have a voice and to be heard that isn't a reporter running around trying desperately to get them to go on the record on something because it seems like that is a failure of the criminal justice system that women... And, and it's, it's complicated, it's complicated, and there's layers, but what's... It, can, is there? Has there been conversations about legislative action or procedure to address this?
1: Well, that's a good question. And also, like, you're right, because a really great piece I shared yesterday, I think maybe it was on Facebook, maybe not on Twitter, but it was how, like, how many times do victims have to be the ones to speak? Like, we know, like, me too. Like, hello, yeah, me too. Hi, we've been there. Are we going to, like, do something now? Are we going to change anything? And I think... I mean, there's tons of resources like Farrah Khan is this um, activist in Toronto who I adore and she does amazing work with like sexual assault outreach and support and everything. And when you look in your communities, there's always people who have always been activists and they've always been working and they've always been on the ground floor. And that might not be for you. Like I'm personally not a protester. Like I don't go to protest, but you use your gifts, right? And I wrote something about this for Ricky a long time ago where it's like everybody has ways – of helping and, ch- and inciting change, so like now we're tired of journalists talking to victims. Cool. So now what are we going to like? How are we going to maybe your vi- like maybe your gift is talking to your friends, and maybe that's being like your friend says something and you're like, dude, that's not cool, and then not freaking out when your friends like go away, blah blah blah, and be like, no, actually, like yada yada yada. Like your gifts don't have to be big; they can just be. Like you have to, it's toiling. It's almost like we just have to start toiling. And it's like, that's the most boring answer to that question. But it's the most. I think. No, I
3: think there's a real truth to that because at the end of the day, how do any of us make decisions? It's having people close to you ringing in your ear, something that you ought to be thinking about. And that's why it's always good to hang out with people that are better than you because whenever you want to do the shittier thing, you're like, ah, I should probably put that in the recycling bin. You know what I mean? It's you like
1: you have a good moral compass because I'm like, I'm the best. No, <laughs> everyone no, listens no, to like,
3: me. No, no, it's like my girlfriend's a vegetarian. It's like I should probably not order the steak every time or what? You know what I mean? So it's like that. that but that's an, a version of toiling where where it's like you need to be if you. Can do it. You should speak up and toil as much as you can with people, you know, in every facet of your life. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: I think it's like it's just doing the work, and it sucks because you're going to be a buzzkill and you're going to feel like a buzzkill. But like, sorry, yeah, like you know, it's bigger buzzkill getting sexually assaulted. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's a much bigger buzzkill. Yeah. Or like being afraid to watch your car. I still make my friends walk me to my car, and vice versa. Like we still text, and we're in our 30s, being like, "Hey, like I'm home safe." It's, it's like how 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 ingrained is that like that's insane when you think about it like we're grown women afraid to walk to our cars are you serious yeah anyway and, and i'm that, always mad well, and,
0: no and that's something that like you know like my wife has that and i think that like a, a lot like i don't feel that way you know so it's like hard. privilege exactly mm-hmm. and that's just something that you don't even have to think about the, the fact that you don't have to think about it you just kind of go about your business and so it's like it's interesting to empathize you know with somebody that would have to actually like worry about that's a consideration in everything you do.
1: And that being said, I think it's also important to state that like right now, Rose McGowan is, I understand what she's trying to do, but she's also excluding from her narrative, um, black women, women of color, uh, trans women, non-binary women. And, um, that's the other thing we have to understand that like, I am in a position of privilege. I'm a white straight girl, like that's like almost a tear right under white straight man. So it's like, now I have to be like, so now we need to be mindful that it's safe for everyone. Cause it's like, as as scared as I feel, someone feels a lot more scared. And that's in a, like, and we don't talk about that. Cause we're like women and men, da da da. it's like, no, like it's been like, feminism has failed women of color for like ever. So it's like, we don't like, it has such a long history of being so white and like excluding. And I mean, even the suffrage jets were very 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 exclusive to the event. I think like we need to have those kind of conversations and it should make you uncomfortable because well, racism is uncomfortable.
0: You know what? Well, uh me too, which is a huge movement like the hashtag. Yeah. which is very similar to sort of what you
1: Yeah, I know I'm suing Alyssa Milano for that.
0: Well, here's the fascinating <laughs> part, which was well, Alyssa Milano is getting all the credit, but it wasn't Alyssa Milano's thing. It was another activist that had started 10 years ago. That's right. Yeah, A woman of color. Yeah. And I'm blanking on her name.
1: Same, but I can look you someone can look We someone... can look it up, someone but I mean but maybe that just speaks right to... we
0: remember a Melissa Milano because she's attached to it. Correct. You know what I mean? Someone's and, always, and does that matter though? Too?
1: Yeah, I mean. Right, because wh- whoever
0: has the biggest, uh, you know, megaphone, ultimately, like, I mean, how it, yeah, you I get there. I think her
2: intentions were.
0: Her
1: intentions were good. We don't look at Melissa Milano and be like, well, you're doing it wrong. Because I think that also, I mean, let's un- like, let's be cool. But like, I do think it's important to, we need to be mindful that there's a history to everything. And a lot of our history as four white people, five, we include you. Webmaster in Dan is <laughs> floating around yeah Uh, yeah, um, Tranna Burke started the Me Too conversation um, like years and years and years ago and that like we have to be mindful when we're talking right now about like feminism and everything that like we are talking about it, we need to understand that it doesn't look the same for every person and that it hasn't been the same for every person so that's another conversation attached to this, it's just, we have to it is, like that's what I mean where I'm like, it's a bummer because it's like, everyone's like, we're at a turning point, I'm like not so much that
0: well you know it's also (laughs) interesting because I think we are in like such a a polarizing climate right now Mm -hmm. and people are so scared of judgment that people are scared to joke a certain way speak a certain way and there can be nuanced conversations about all of these things um, but sometimes I feel like the way things are going, it's like it's not even worth it to maybe even have an Ip- that conversation where you might not wholly agree with, like, the other side or, you know, certain um ethics in, in the paradigm with certain things. So for for me, it's, like, very interesting, just the three of us, the way things have changed. Shane and I have literally been talking for two weeks straight about what we can joke about, what we can't joke about, you know, reframing sort of the things we've said in the past. And I think this is a good thing because it's shifting that way. I don't know if... I think more people are having those conversations. More men are having those conversations.
1: More I hope women. they are. I mean, it's it's difficult. Like, it's a very, like, because, uh, like, part of me was very hopeful when you see, like, men respond to all of this on Twitter and you're like, that's nice. And then you see p- men respond to it and I'm like, oh, I know you're a sexual predator. I know what you've done. I've heard about you. Like, to go through your feed and be like, Oh my god, like are you serious right now?
3: what are you, what are you getting? At? So like do like, you know they personally? have done it
1: themselves?
3: And but they're, and they're like, the flag. I'm so
1: sad for yeah. these women and you're just like, "Oh my god." Like I I have so much like everyone knows about you. Are you serious right uh-huh. now? And like that so it's almost at the point where it's like if you want to be an ally, show us. You don't have to say it. Show us. Do it. Do the work. Call out your friends. Call out behavior when you see it. Don't see that movie by that director who likes to rape women. Like, don't do that. Like, and it's like, oh, I'm sorry if you can't see the Woody Allen movie. Like, have a cry. But, like, it sucks a little bit more that, like, think of the culture that that, like, continues to, like, stoke the fires of. It's almost like, and I feel like I, I sit here and I know I, I sound angry, but I think anger is, like, the only thing. I know I have left. I can't be sad. I won't do anything. Anger, at least I can be like, okay, well, fine. Like then we'll do this and this and this and this. And if you have a problem with it, then get out. As opposed to like, I can't be disappointed anymore. Like I don't have it in me. I'm just too tired.
3: I think one of the things that you're you're both getting at and this has to do with sort of especially people in a position of privilege is you you really have to just listen. Mm
2: -hmm. It's like
3: it's everyone's instinctive thing as a human as someone who likes to talk and it's like to either want to just debate for the sake of debating because some people love doing that and other people is like if they feel a little bit accused of something to get their back up against the wall and just shoot back Mm -hmm. but it's better just to listen because if you can take like you know because there's yeah, you know, as you're saying, there's nuances in a lot of conversations. And all you can really do is bring your own life experience to it. But just as much, you have to listen to somebody else's life experience. Yeah. And so it's like, nah, that'd be another thing. It's just like, try not to... Like, being defensive isn't particularly helpful, especially if you're in a position of... Priv- priv- oh, oh that's what God. I mean. If you're yeah. in a position of privilege, it's not... not particularly helpful. Just listen. Yeah. Just listen, listen, and then really sit with it and try not to come up with a, a counter. Well, I got you here. I got you here. It's like, no, just listen.
1: See, that's like the net. You're, that's like your very lovely accessible approach and me as the person that gets like the because you're like a dude on the internet and I get like the other side of that where men are like saying a lot of stuff to me. So now that... Well, but I no
3: ha- one's in a bigger position of privilege than me. Exactly. So but I have but, to but you're saying listening. it in like
1: a very nice way that oh, I'm like, sure. good. You're saying it like in a way that I think people will really resonate with because I almost feel like I'm almost sometimes I feel like I'm so angry that like I'm just I don't like I, I just have run out of F's to give like where now I'll just be like instead of saying it so succinctly like yourself I'll be like sit down and shut up and let me speak and then like someone will be like ah, or you're a bitch and I'm like yeah well. Tell me something I do not know, and tell me something my great grandmother did not instill in me from Belfast. <laughs>
3: I think it's a rule of thumb. I try to keep this in mind, in a, like in my daily life. It's like if you have the, the 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 sort of strength to muster up like the energy to listen or to take the high or to give up your seat on the bus or like or let somebody like because you've got enough sleep and you have food in your belly and you have enough money in your bank account, you, you need to do that. It is your responsibility as a fellow citizen to let the person who doesn't have it as easy uh, an opportunity to to vent and to be heard. I, you know, I think, uh, yeah, I think that's what we need to do. Let's
1: I think do that's it. just, that's called like being a good citizen. Yo, totally, yeah. You yeah. just like got to kind of
3: like identify like, who's the person who's having a tougher time today and let them have a have a. Voice. It's very humanist and yeah.
0: ultimately Christian, although you wouldn't.
1: Hey, know there,
3: that. There's some good stuff in that book. There's no, some no, shit I, I stuff agree. in that book too. I but, agree. but I'm just uh, saying. Let's
1: talk like- about religion. Are we going to get into the- <laughs> <We'll> <laughs> go
3: there? next. <laughs> it's like it's like 11 p.m. I love like, it. All like, right, we figured it out.
1: I really love to bring like the anger and like I try not to be too angry though. Like that, you're right. You're right though. That's the thing. I'm also privileged. I'm privileged. So like,
3: but I like you would take the high road if I like to think if you were listening yes. to somebody in oh a no, and that was in a like a slightly less like a lower rung
1: of privilege. Or, like, I'm not going to tell someone who's gone through something different, whose experiences have been different, who who are like, I struggle with this. And I'm not going to be like, well, mm, but I struggle. It's like, no, no, no. Yeah, you're right. You have, like, you're 100% correct. Everyone, listen to what Max is saying. He's correct. And and I am, if you want a pep talk where you think I might hit you, that's me. to Come to me. (laughs) That's my approach with my friends. I'm like Amy from V. (laughs)
3: Another thing is everybody needs to, like... um, be honored, I think, for what they bring to the, to the table and what they bring to the dinner, right? So it's like, yeah. and, and I really admire... Some of my fiery activist friends. And when you say it, it's like, what is your gift that you bring? Your gift is you're a, a fiery motherfucker, right? Like, and that's great. Can I say that? Is yeah, that, you can. Uh, okay. I, I will
1: father f-
0: f- Fatherfucker. Well,
1: no, no, don't do
0: that. F- I was <laughs> trying to be gender <laughs> neutral. <laughs> oh,
1: God. Oh, my God. I'm like, no, please don't connote <laughs> <don't laughs> that I'm having sex with my father. Yeah, we're
0: we're going to cut that out. Uh, <laughs> you
1: should definitely yeah. keep that in, actually. Yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, everybody brings something different. And, yeah. and, and so, so that's what you're bringing. That fiery thing is ringing in my ear. And that's a good thing. Oh, good. I'm yeah. glad.
1: And also, like, I this is the thing. When I did that, When I sent that tweet, it was a question. Everyone else made it something big. So for me, what matters to me is representation for everyone that spoke up. So like, okay, so at like I think I've got maybe six to seven thousand replies now on that mother father.
3: (laughs) (laughs) The Um, mother, the mother
4: father. The mother
1: father. (laughs) Um, And so it's like, okay, well, as wonderful as it is that people think what I did is cool, like and whatever is it, like it really just was a tweet. My priority now as a person who posed that question, well, what am I going to do now? I'm not just going to pose the question and leave all those people. Mm -hmm. So now we're, okay, well, then I will assist in working to bring forth change. And if like anyone has a problem with that, I mean, I'm very loud and scary. Good. <laughs> or in the words of Sachi Cool, who once said to me, and I said, she said she wasn't fun. And I said, I have fun with you. And she's like, you're not fun. I'm like, oh, you're right, I'm not fun.
3: <laughs> <laughs> okay, last last thing. Can this... we just
1: talk for like three hours? Because this is fun. Yeah, yeah <laughs> this moving.
3: is great. There's probably not an answer to this question, but it's more of like a Kirby enthusiasm kind of observation. Love it. Because uh, I had the same feeling when I saw these guys, not not, not that necessarily guys that have uh, committed abuse themselves, but just the the reaction. It's like this big sort of public post about i'm gonna do better and the cynical part of me goes ah, st-, like you're just self-serving and like trying to be this this guy that like and that kind of is obnoxious or that's how to i really feel okay so <laughs> so what is the okay so we already know what to do and that's sort of like to, to jostle and to yeah to, to assert yourself when you're amongst your friends is, is it necessary or should or should we be posting something on the mic on Mustang. We are we stand with women.
1: Please stop doing that. You didn't do that, which no, I love no you for all. For, like thank you, Amen, Baby Jesus, Christian, whatever. Um, you guys did. I thought a very good job because you were well. You retweeted me, which is very nice. But you like have always been quite generous in sharing other people's words because I feel like if someone can say it better and has said it better, just just. Retweet with said. That's say. a good
3: idea. That's a good rule of thumb for the internet. Yeah. Like, like why that.
1: would I? Like, I hate when somebody, like, does, like, like, just let elevate other voices. Like, you have the platform. That's your, that could be your gift. You have more gifts. Everyone No, That's gifts one of the
3: gifts. gifts. That's actually a great piece of advice. It's just great like elevate other advice. people who are playing a more substantial role and will say it better than you anyway.
1: Right? Like, why would I start, like, talking about, like, a trans person's experience? How dare I? Like, why wouldn't I? I will just share an activist's work. Like, who am I to do that?
3: that? That sits a thousand times better with me. That's a great idea. That's a good lesson for us all. Is it that, is, yeah, because I just get so I just, it's so really when you see some guy like you clearly spent fucking three hours just like trying to craft this. F-ing, it's like, like
1: literally, I like, can't Winston do Winston the-
3: Churchill monologue. It's like get the f- out of here. Man. I
1: like <laughs> sat at my computer doing like a hand job motion in the air at the laptop, reading through people's things, being yeah. like, I know about you. I know, no, you're definitely the worst, and like uh-huh. just I, like unfollow, unfollow, mm-hmm. unfollow. It's fine. It's like. It is what it is.
0: What are your thoughts on um, people – because a lot of people with Me Too are sharing their experiences, but then they don't name names. Yeah. And there's sort of been this polarizing thing where people are like, well, say the name if you're going to come out and say it. And obviously it's everybody's personal decision. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that?
1: I think sharing is your personal decision because also like I'm not going to force someone to cope in a way that isn't helpful to them. I don't know what – like. It's not gonna, I mean, the guy who harassed me at the radio station used a fake name at the radio station. I don't even know what his real name is. How insane is that? Wow. Like, so I couldn't out him if I tried. But I mean, some people cope by not sharing. And I tried to make that very clear. I'm like, if you don't feel comfortable sharing, I read that. Yeah. Please don't feel like you have to because everybody's mental health is very different. Everybody's experiences are very different. Everybody is the product and the sum of their parts and their histories. And if you have coped best by telling maybe a close friend or keeping it to yourself, but knowing that you have dealt with it, then by all means, do not cross a threshold you don't feel comfortable with. I think that's grossly unfair that we are making survivors feel like they're the ones that have to do the work. They've already done the work. They're here. And the ones that aren't, that's even more tragic. So it's like, well, I, like that's the thing. It's like, how many times do we do we need to do this every week now? Like, I mean, I have stories to start when I'm like 10. Like, we can start there. Like, <laughs> like, I mean... I have no feelings about them. I can cont- like I can do that every week, but I'm tired of doing that every week. Yeah. I would like to see something come from this now. Mm-hmm. So you toil.
0: Okay, well, we're going to get to our guest this week, who is a very successful person. Who a, a woman, uh, Michelle McLaren, who is cool. a big-time Canadian director. She's. Uh, just recently most recently uh executive produced and directed the deuce which is out she did the first uh, episode in the finale which we talk about she directed episodes of the x-files episodes of game of thrones um she's from the west coast we talk a lot about her upbringing we've talked a lot about how she broke into the industry starting as a production assistant you know working in wardrobe doing everything she could to sort of make her way up working commercials and then finally get her shot directing an episode of the x-files uh back in the day and now she's uh, she's killing it so she was here to talk about that show The Deuce which is a Damon Simon show are you a huge Wire fan Maxie? you know it's one of those things where I've never actually watched The Wire oh me either, me either. I, but, I but I, but, either. I, but, I, but people but, kill me on whenever this whenever
3: anybody goes to The Wire I'm like yeah I love The Wire
0: See? that's
1: why I thought that <laughs> I've been lying oh, i watched The Two episodes, yeah, and I'm just like, yeah, Bubbles, man. Like, crazy guy. <laughs> <You> <laughs> and they like, convinced me and so I felt the guilt <laughs> of never watching guys, it or
0: finding the time. Yeah, Baltimore. It's so gritty. What if
1: we watched it? Like, not maybe together. Our, sorry, I know our schedule are crazy, but if we started watching it all independently and then, like,
3: had a group chat about group it and then talked yeah. about it on the pod. Would that something. be cool? That would be okay. cool.
1: Shane's like, I hate this I've seen, yeah. seen The Wire,
2: yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the one guy's not saying anything. He's like, yeah, I saw it, you posers. Yeah, I'm good. It's an awesome
0: show. Can
1: we do this?
2: I'm
0: down. Because
1: last time I tried to start it, I had the worst flu of life. And so it just reminds me of like having a fever. Mm-hmm. So I think though if I'm like forced to do this, It's I like a book club, it.
0: but for book club. TV, yeah. Wire club. Wire club.
1: <laughs> I can do this. I can I am up for if we say it now, I'm being held accountable. That's why I always write about alcoholism and stuff, because I can't jump off the wagon if I'm like held accountable. So now here I am. Held She's accountable. Okay, let's
3: do it. Let's
0: We're doing do it. it. We're All doing right. It. Do you want to get to Michelle McLaren? Let's get to Michelle McLaren yeah. and let's start watching the wire. Let's yes. do it. Had Edgar Wright on.
4: Uh, oh wow, great oh, I love him. He's awesome.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, but how are you doing?
4: I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me.
0: Oh, our pleasure. Uh, you've been doing a lot of press.
4: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Which is fun.
0: You, do you like doing the sort of whole press thing?
4: I love talking about a show I love making. So yeah. it's it's I can never talk enough about the deuce.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the stuff you like, it's easy to do the press. Exactly. Yeah. Have you ever had to go out and do press for something that you weren't so proud of?
4: No, I haven't, thankfully. But I. Uh, it's, it's rare. I shouldn't say it's rare, but, um, when you're directing, you're often on location, so we don't always get to uh, do all the press junkets because we're not available, yeah. so I'm really uh, happy that I'm available for to do this with The Deuce because I love it so much.
0: Yeah, well, I love it too. I've seen the first four episodes. Oh, good. Uh, they gave me the, the eight, and I was right. super excited, and then I got caught up, and I cannot wait to get back to it. Oh, and good. Oh, well that's a good time. We're going to talk about it in a bit, though, okay. but first, I kind of want to go back because I think with listeners of our pod, we like to get into sort of the minutiae of how creatives do their work, and mm-hmm. then also the... The path that some people take to sure. get there. So, I mean, like you grew up in Vancouver. I did, yes. What did your parents do when you were growing up and was like entertainment very prevalent in your home?
4: What was prevalent is that we, on the weekend, we'd all uh, jump into my dad's big, huge old Oldsmobile and we'd <laughs> go to the multiplex and we could go to any movie we wanted and we'd meet up afterwards afterwards we talk about the movies and i have three siblings and three out of four of us went into the movie business my parents are not in the movie business my mom is a writer but uh she, she's a uh, wrote nonfiction books and articles and wow. and and things and she's amazing uh and my dad uh, is a businessman so but movies and storytelling is always part of my upbringing and we had a uh a summer cottage on an island that has no electricity. It's very rustic. So we would spend our summers there and we would tell stories and play charades and and that was our entertainment because we didn't have television. And it was really good. And I think that from a very young age, I always loved storytelling. And I would take pictures and my parents would always say, Oh, Michelle, you've got a good eye. And I'd think, what what are you talking about? That's just the the picture. It's the same picture anybody else would take. (laughs) But they, they very much encouraged me uh, in that direction and and I knew from a young age that I wanted to be in, in the movie business and that someday I wanted to be a director.
0: That's fascinating. So, so it was really sort of like even maybe not uh, intentionally. They're cultivating your creativity because you're going to this place. You guys are being creative. Your dad's bringing you to the to the Cineplex every weekend. Would you and your siblings always go to different movies, or would you?
4: Sometimes kind of- we go to the same movies, and sometimes we go to different movies. And we'd always we'd always hang around afterwards and, and discuss them. My my brother is incredibly creative. He's he's an agent. He's the head of feature literary for ICM, and uh, and he's one of my agents. And he's inc- he's he's very Helpful and instrumental in what I do. I, I there's many occasions where I've called him up at eleven o'clock at night and said, "I'm bringing a scene over to your house. Something's not working. I want you guys to take a look at it." Right. And he and his wife would sit down and go, "Well, you know," and, and give me thoughts and ideas. And he would do the same with scripts. And it, it's it's really very very collaborative. My younger sister, uh, she was a production coordinator, and uh, she's a mother of four now, and uh, and builds and designs houses I and mean, she's super creative and um and my older sister's a veterinarian ophthalmologist who would say she's very scientific and not creative but she is <laughs> uh so we we love to sit around and 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 talk as, as a lot of people do nowadays talk about movies sure. and tv shows and and on that kind of thing
0: yeah was, as,
4: as my parents do too they love it
0: was there like a film or a TV show in particular that sort of sparked your thing? I mean, it seems like in general, you just loved it all, but was there anything that you would say, oh, that was mine?
4: Okay. Well, that's a, it's a funny question because, um, I worked my way out from a, a production assistant to producing before I became a director. And I was a producer on the X-Files, I, I came very late into the series. It was season seven. And for years I had been studying directing on the side, studying acting. So I knew someday I wanted to direct. And my grandmother passed away and my mom found a letter in her stuff and she sent it to me and she said, Michelle, you've got to read this right away. And it was a letter I'd written to my grandmother telling her what I was up to. And I had, said in this letter that i just saw this movie that it was so great and i hope someday i can make a movie like that and i did not put the name of the movie in the letter but i dated it and i was 13 years old and i thought wow i've wanted to be a director since i was 13 (laughs) i better go ask the producers if i can direct and and i was very fortunate that uh, i went to the producers and and i've been training for this for a long time and I asked them if I could direct and they said yes and the first episode I directed was written by a man named Vince Gilligan yeah and the first thing Vince directed uh, I I produced cuz it was on the X-Files but I and I did go back to and uh, looked at the movies that came out in when I was 13 and I don't know what movie I was talking about. And the only thing I can think is, because the letter is to my grandmother, it must have been X-rated or something, so <laughs> I didn't put the title in it. I don't know. <laughs> um, so I can't say that there's anyone in particular, but there's there's certain filmmakers that have been a huge influence on me. I love Sergio Leone movies. I really love Once Upon a Time in the West. That okay. is, that's a huge influence. Um, I love Martin Scorsese movies. And uh, I, David Cronenberg... Was a great sure. Canadian director Norman Jewison. Another great Canadian director. Uh, there's there's a lot of wonderful filmmakers who I, I've studied and, and 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 so many more than I'm than I'm than I'm mentioning. Um, Billy Friedkin. I mean, there's there's the, you know it's it's endless. And I feel really uh, fortunate that um, you know you're able to study their work and then uh, be able to you be inspired by it and use it in my own work.
0: Of course, you know, it's fascinating. You mentioned that, you know, you started out like PAing and then producing and working your way up. And you said it was only after you sort of read this letter, you are like, oh, I've wanted to be a director. Maybe I should go into that. So from the start, was there like sort of a, a keen ambition to move up or were you just like, I'm happy to be here? And how do you get that first gig?
4: Uh, Not the directing,
0: but into the industry.
4: Right, yeah, no, all good questions. Uh, So I went to Queens and I majored in film. And when I graduated, I I traveled for a bit and then I wanted to get a job in the movie business, but I I didn't know how to do that. So I went and I got a list of all the film companies and commercial house companies in Vancouver. And um, my dad, who's a businessman, he has nothing to do with the movie business, with skied with one of the guys, um, Scott Kennedy, who had a commercial house at the time. And uh, so he said, look, you know, why don't you take your resume to Scott and see if he can give you some advice. So my resume consisted of waitressing and uh, (laughs) basically waitressing and waitressing. Yeah. Um, And uh, so I did up my resume and I had my little brown envelope with my resume in it, and I was on my way to go see Scott Kennedy, and the elevator doors opened, and there was a guy standing there with a walkie-talkie. And he looked at the envelope in my hand, and he goes, do you want to be in the movie business? And I said, yes. And he goes, we're shooting two blocks away, and we're understaffed. Drop your resume off and come and volunteer. I said, okay. So I dropped my resume off, said hi to Scott went down two blocks, volunteered, which was for Scott's company. And um, I worked that day for free, and I worked for that company for two years. That was the only day I worked for free. And I was very, very fortunate, but... It, and that makes it sound like it was really easy. It wasn't easy. What what I realized very quickly is you have to be willing to work really hard and do anything that is needed, and really have your eyes open to what is needed. Where is there a void, and where can I fill it? And I was holding a stop sign in the pouring rain for fourteen hours straight. I was sweeping up cigarette butts and pouring coffee. I didn't care what I did. I just wanted to be on a film set, and I learned so much in in. Uh, well, I'm always learning on a, on a film set, and that in those two years with them, um, with Scott's company, I I was a PA. I worked in locations. I was an AD. I, w- I ended up unit managing. I would work in every single department that would allow me, and just fill whatever void was needed. And this was in commercials. So commercials are they're very short and they're quick, and so there was a, a, a great variety. I was really fortunate with that. And then there was an AD I worked with, and he said, "Michelle, will you come and?" be a second ad on a movie i'm doing a really low budget movie and i said well i've never done that before and he goes you know don't worry i'll i'll teach you how to do it and i was doing that movie and the let's just say there was some voids in other areas uh, of the movie and um, like in other departments in other other, perhaps the the production managing department and um (laughs) and so i just helped as a Fill that in because I had been had now had some unit managing experience with the commercials, and the producers said to me on the next movie that they were doing again very low budget. This is years ago. They said, "Will you production manage it?" And I had no idea what I was doing. Yeah, what do those
0: titles mean? You know, it's just like okay. I'm
4: thinking. uh, I said, "Oh, where are you shooting it?" And they said, "Well, it's a western, and we're shooting it." On this ranch outside of Calgary, and I thought, okay, great. It's no, it's out in the middle of nowhere. Maybe if I mess it up, nobody's gonna know. <laughs> so I said yes. Um, but it's it's been it's been I'm, I'm making it sound like I I had a lot of luck, which I've had. I've had a lot of luck, and it and it takes a lot of luck, but it also takes a lot of really hard work and 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 dedication, and um, and being willing to do whatever job is presented to you. And then you get to a point where you start thinking about okay. I've exposed myself to all these different parts of the business. What is it I want to focus on? What is it that I want to do? And I, I realized that I really wanted to direct. I wanted to be uh, part of the storytelling process and be very creatively involved. And uh, the, I wish I was a writer as well. I have written. I'm a member of the, D, of the WGA. And, but I, I'm, I don't have the discipline. To write, it's very hard for me to sit down and write, and I'm so fortunate to work with such brilliant writers. I, I have the discipline to sit down and shot list for twelve hours straight. W- yeah. w- why Why I c- I can do one and not the other? I, do- I don't know, but um, so that's what I you know ended up focusing on.
0: So when you're directing, I mean, you you get I I guess what you're saying sort of is like everyone needs breaks, but once you get those breaks, it's about hard work and building relationships, and those can lead to other opportunities. So when you get that opportunity to direct that episode of the the X Files Mm -hmm. that Vince wrote, right? what's going through your mind? What is
4: going through my mind is absolute utter fear, <laughs> terrified. I was absolutely terrified. It was an immense responsibility and I had been preparing for it for a long time. I have been producing for about 10 years and I had been studying acting for about three years to understand what acting actors go through. I've been taking film class, directing classes on the side and when I knew that I was going to get this opportunity in our last season, I actually in the, in our hiatus went to the rockport film school in maine and which a bunch of my friends had done who are second unit directors just to it's an intensive week-long program because what really scared me was do i know how to break down a scene shoot all the pieces and put it back together and have it make sense and that week was uh taught by alan myerson who's a really good great television director And, and um i told alan the opportunity i had and he really helped me focus on that and um and then I the best piece of advice that somebody gave me going in to shoot that for the first time was one of the producers said, always make sure the camera's telling the story. And I thought, oh my God, what does that mean? What does that mean? And I, I really spent a lot of time and trying to understand and learn what that means, and always making sure the camera's telling the story. Because, as the director, as one of the people, because you're collaborating with your cinematographer who is deciding where you're gonna put the camera, what, what the lenses you're gonna use, that is uh, manipulating. And manipulating is a, a, I don't love using that word, but that you are. Uh, directing the point of view of the story that you are telling. And you always want your camera to be telling the the story and evoking the emotion that you want to do in that particular moment. And so those are choices that you are making, not only when you're shooting, but also in the editing room as well. Well,
0: functionally, I mean like... I guess, how do you ensure everyone from, you know, the showrunner, the writers, the actors, and of course yourself, like all have a cohesive vision going in? Is it a matter of trust or is it sort of everything being discussed right down to maybe the inflection of a word of dialogue?
4: It it depends on the situation. If we take the deuce, for example, yes. uh, David and George and I had a lot of discussions at the beginning uh, it was important to all of us that this is very authentic, raw, grounded. It's uh, there's nothing gratuitous. There's nothing uh, titillating when it's not supposed to be. It's it's that we wanted to do an honest, real portrayal of of this world. And now we are building a world, and we're building a world that existed in in 1971. So we're recreating a world. So we did a, a ton of research, and I put together a visual lookbook for how I saw the show and of, and of course I showed it to these guys and I talked to David and George about, and Nina about the, the details of this and then uh, I talked to our production designer Beth mickle who also brought images to this look and to pepe our cinematographer and anna terraza our costume designer and we all contributed to this look and and it evolved into what the style and the tone of the show was going to be so we knew what every prop every piece of wardrobe every location uh, was part of this look that we were putting together this tone this style and um going into it we had a very strong visual representation of what we wanted the show to be when you're shooting everything changes. You know? Right, yeah, yeah, they'd, yeah, they'd, yeah. You know, there's never enough time and money and, and things pop up we, the, that are unexpected. We, we showed up in on, on 30th in, in downtown Manhattan one night and it's supposed to be 1971 and earlier in the day there'd been a gas leak and the street's full of 2015 gas trucks. And you're like, oh my God. You know, and so we have to rethink and, you know, how are we going to do this? And we had, we had what we called blocking trucks. We had these big trucks from 1971 that we would use in these kind of emergencies. To like so hide.
0: To hide. Modern-looking things, looking things. Exactly.
4: sure. But we had to change our ang- angles. We had to rewire some of the lights. We had to uh, use a little CG. So it was a combination of things. And when I got to the uh, editing room and and I was sat down to watch the first cut, I thought, Wow, I wonder in all this craziness, were we able to pull this off? You know, does yeah. it still look like our lookbook? And I watched the cut and I pulled out the lookbook and I thought, Yeah, yeah, we were. I mean, we didn't get everything we wanted, but but we we had the feeling and the tone and and, and this and the look that we wanted, the details, the authenticity. And that's the collaboration with an amazing production designer, Beth Mickle, and her team, and an amazing cinematographer, Pepe, and Anna Terraza, our costume designer. And the, the cast, the cast were just so bold and brave, and they went for it. And it's, it's, it's an incredible collaboration that all starts with a brilliant script, you yeah. know, David Simon, George Pelecanos, and and wonderful supportive producers like Nina Noble. That's you know when, when all that comes together, that's magic.
0: Are you able to because you directed the first episode and then the finale? Is it easy to walk away and then come back at the finale and still feel like you're in the groove and in the, the swing? And- it's
4: it's. Um, I mean, obviously, I had watched all the episodes yeah. and uh, and and they were wonderful in keeping me in and in, involved in what's happening and, and the and the process and everything. So I came into the finale uh, educated obviously uh, knowing everything that had happened since I had done the pilot. It was really exciting to shoot the pilot going and and come back and we actually mixed the pilot and the finale back to back and I remember David and I we finished mixing the pilot and the next day we went in to mix the finale and we thought okay well here we're going to see if this worked you know <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's a bit of alchemy
4: yeah um, but uh, it it there were so many wonderful directors and and producers and and writers involved that um uh you know i they didn't need me in the in the middle sure. but um the the one of the reasons that directors are often executive producers on pilots is that as a producer you are much more involved in every step of the process and most most producers want the direct the pilot director to be involved all the way through and i'm talking about all the post-process and um and these guys were wonderful are wonderful collaborators so i was involved in, in 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 both the pilot and the finale and in every step of the process and that was that was great.
0: Very cool. Well, lastly, as we wrap up here, I wanted to ask: uh, Is there a dream project or story out there, you know, that say there was no limitations uh, that you have always wanted to make?
4: Okay. Well, that's a dream: being able to make something that has no limitations. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that in of itself. <laughs> that's the story. Yeah. Uh,
4: there, there's a, there's a lot of projects that I would love to do. I have. um I have a company that has a lot of uh, both television and feature projects in development. Uh, Vince Gilligan and I are um, adapting a book, uh, The Raven, the Untold Story of the, Jim, of the Reverend Jim Jones, and we're doing a mini-series with HBO on that. Vince is writing it. I'm directing it. Super excited Very cool. about that. Very cool. Um, I have, I'm have. Uh, i developing a project at TriStar called The Nightingale. It's a, a feature adaptation of Kristen Hannah's book, The Nightingale, which I'm very excited about. And uh, I have uh, a project that's a um, development from a book called Snatched, which we're going to change the title because that movie that came out recently. Um, And uh, I have a a number of um, original ideas, both TV and, and feature that are in development. I, I love being part of things that are from the ground up. I love television. I would love to do more pilots and um, so there's there's a lot of worlds I would like to explore but I really like what you said. Is there is there something that I would like without limitations? Mm-hmm. Yes, everything. <laughs> without limitations.
0: <laughs> well thank you so much for your time.
4: Thank you for having me. It's nice to talk to you.
0: Welcome to The Dessert. Uh, We are joined, or he's still here in the studio, our friend and pop culture aficionado, Shane Cunningham. Shane, what is going on?
2: Hey, so I wanted to talk about the new season of Curb Your Enthusiasm. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. But I was talking to uh, my friend Mark Myers on the phone recently, and he brought up uh, something very interesting that I'd like to address. He was talking about the Harvey Weinstein episode from last week, and he wanted to know why... I kind of just literally said nothing during that entire discussion because Mark's like, oh, it'd be interesting to hear your unique perspective on all this. So I told Mark that I, in fact, did talk about it, but everything I said was edited out. And there was a reason behind it. And the reason is when I chimed in to talk about Harvey, Instead of actually talking about Harvey, I tried to focus on the next big, salacious Hollywood scandal that I thought would surface. Or in this case, I guess resurface, because I was talking about the 2014 case with uh, X-Men director Bryan Singer, where someone accused him of drugging and raping a 15-year-old boy. And there was also a story uh, in that same article where he was accused of filming nude, underage boys uh, during the filming of his other film he directed called apt pupil yeah he wanted the actors to appear nude in the showers but they were underage and it was unnecessary to the movie it didn't serve any purpose so that was an article i think it would be good if we shined a light on i thought at the time when we listened to the playback of that tape it seemed like i brought it up a little too cavalier and it was almost as if i cared more about either breaking the story or being the one to predict what the next big story to break would be the other reason was We weren't sure if I got all the facts right on the case. And the last thing we wanted to be was irresponsible media. So I discussed with you, Mike, I'm looking at. Yep. And we decided that I would talk about it on this dessert after I did maybe a little bit more research and could talk about maybe in a more serious manner. Sure. So here we are today. Uh, The problem is when I was Googling it and researching, I found that the man who accused Brian Singer, his name's Michael Egan, he was actually sentenced to two years for investment fraud. And his own lawyer, who was representing him in the Brian Singer case, said that the sexual allegations against Brian were false claims. So that kind of reframed the way I thought about this person, and maybe this is an incorrect way to feel, but I thought maybe this person's character wasn't that good to be uh, to be, basically, I didn't want a witch hunt going against Brian Singer unnecessarily if the person I didn't believe.
0: Sure, if the accuser was uh, not very credible.
2: Yeah, and I'm also told that I can't say the word witch hunt. My, uh, my wife told me that that's an incorrect term too, but I don't know a better way to frame it, so hopefully everyone out there knows what I mean.
0: You do not have anything against witches? They are allowed to practice? <laughs> I like
2: witches, okay? <laughs> and that's what I want mainly to be the takeaway from today. <laughs> <laughs> but, but anyway, we, Anne was here up the top. I yep. sat in for that. I remained, again, largely silent for that. Afterwards, I asked Anne. Because I had a question running through my mind, which is, is everyone who's accused, are they guilty? Or should society view them as guilty? And is everyone who's exonerated, should society view them as innocent? And that's something I was struggling with, whether to even bring this up right now. Yeah. And Anne's told me that in cases of sexual assault, typically where there's smoke, there's fire. And that in the facts that are presented in this case, she would have no problem never seeing another Bryan Singer film again in her life although i'm not as black and white as Anne in my views typically i think the right answer is somewhere in the middle in this case i think that it is warranted given you know i am papa culture recently <laughs> i did just hear my son or daughter-to-be's beating heart wow and i wouldn't trust brian singer to babysit the kid and that's kind of the the viewpoint i'm going to go forward with in how I choose to associate with people and so people might know what I'm talking about. But that's what I had to talk about right now. Sure. And, yeah. And uh, how about that crazy Larry David? <laughs>
0: <You know. laughs> well, no, I mean, like, listen, I think, uh, I think you're asking tough questions. You know what I mean? Because right now focus and rhetoric is at an all-time high. And I think that, like, even to step back and ask, you know, a difficult question like are all people that are accused guilty or all people that are exonerated innocent is, like, even a conversation maybe people don't even want to have right now, you know. But it is a thoughtful question, and I think Anne had a, a thoughtful response. And I just – this should be a place where we talk about those things, you know. And I think that, like, I'm glad that you had this form to say something because if people feel like, you know – you didn't get to say your, your piece or your thoughts weren't completely sort of known or on the record i think this is a good place for this max any thoughts um no
3: i'm still processing it all um because it's an interesting question because i think well you know when you when there's these allegations of sexual assault i think the instinct to believe the victims as ann said i think is the starting point where it gets Cloudy sometimes is is you know the, the Rolling Stone UVA piece you know where it's like oh there's a yeah, or it's, it sounds like in this Brian Singer uh, story where... where you
2: watch a film like Making a Murderer yeah and all of a sudden you're incensed at a false conviction and then all of a sudden that story turns out new things. Evolve in that case Where all of a sudden You do believe the conviction Totally So it's constantly A moving narrative It's a narrative. moving narrative That all said You
0: know what that does too though? It speaks to the power Of journalism And you know A great writer That frames things In, a, in the right way Or a compelling way Can make you think anything So it's always sort of like, like, who's the messenger, mm-hmm. right? Who? How are these stories getting to us? How are they researched? Which angle are they taking? Is you know journalism not biased? I, I don't know, like the answer to those things. But like you said, something as compelling as making a murderer can make you think one thing. But if it's edited and the music is different in a different way, it's completely different.
3: Sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And and I think though, bringing it back to the first thing I said about what Anne's advice was, is that I think it's really important to be good listeners to. To also understand the reality, though, even though there are these glaring examples, you know, any victim of sexual assault doesn't want to... Come, like, coming forward is one of the hardest things ever. So just always sort of keeping that in the in the back of your mind or in the front of your mind, I should say, is that the reality is that most victims don't even get hurt to begin with. So as a starting place, um, I think that's a really... You know,
2: yeah. It's, it's, but one thing that runs through my mind is incentive, right? In in most cases, why would anyone falsely accuse anyone? Unless maybe they had some financial incentive in mind, which with famous people, you know, sometimes that might happen. And Anne's advice was, in most cases, that's that's not actually true. It's when there's smoke, there's fire, and these people are using, these people in power with money are using their incentive, which is that they feel like they're l- more likely to get away with it. Get away with it, yeah. Yeah. So next uh,
3: item up for dessert is, uh, I want to talk about, is the head coverage issue in Quebec. Go. Head
2: coverage? I know I the, no the Burak? I totally you, you, missed you, it. You know the, uh, the head covering
3: with the BRR? Oh, How, the, what, what? the hijabs. Or yeah, but they're not
2: called hijabs. What are they called? Uh, uh, it took me a month to research this. Like, <laughs> I can't, can't throw me a new topic. <laughs> That's it. That's all. That's your episode. Thank you so much for listening.
3: Thank you so much to Auntie Donahue. Again, follow her on Twitter at Auntie Donahue. And uh, you can follow the pod of Mike on Much on Instagram and Twitter. Subscribe in iTunes. Leave a comment. We'd love to hear what you said uh, and what you think. The artwork is provided by Jenna Gregory at jennasdoodles.com. Tara Paquette puts it all together. Huge thanks to Webmaster Dan, everybody here at uh,
0: Bell Media for uh, supporting the show. The Mike on Much podcast is produced by Max Kerman. I'm your host, Mike Veerman. See you next week if we don't die on the weekend.